Hello, and thank you for joining me today here on Bible Studies with Russ. Today we're picking up at Revelation chapter 18. And in chapter 18, and actually a few of these chapters following, we're going to be looking at this uh, in larger sections, a few verses at a time. Uh, in chapter 18, and then chapter 19 is more of a, a singular verse uh, approach. But chapter 18, we're going to be lumping some of this uh, together here. Um, Looking at Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 uh, through 3, here the Bible says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Because we are lumping this together, I'm going to look at some notes I have here, then also uh, consider some comments from uh, Brother, Sir, uh, Brother Summers, who is the uh, author or writer of his book on the, on the commentary of Revelation entitled Worthy is the Lamb um, by Ray Summers, to be uh, specific there. Uh, way back in, let's see, what is it copyright right of this, uh, 1951. And so, uh, again, so I'm going to be making some comments here first from the notes I have here, and then we'll be looking at some comments from Ray Summers on his uh, in his commentary, Worthy, uh, Worthy is the Lamb. All right, so verses 1 through 3 of Revelation 18 uh, says, he, uh, looking at this, as you just read, the fall is announced. We find after all these things indicates a new beginning. The fall of Babylon is typical of this Babylon, as we also find uh, similar ideas in Isaiah 13. You can compare other prophecies like Nineveh and Zephaniah 2, Edom, Isaiah 34, and Tyre in Ezekiel 26. We have here a prison or a cage is mentioned of every unclean spirit or bird. This is symbolic of the destruction of the city. The old temples would be empty and vacated and in ruins. Verse 3 gives the reason again here for, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This refers to the worship of the beast and also deeply involved in the sins of Rome. Uh, the world merchants traded and served the needs of the empire to make their money. Now, Brother uh, Summers adds this as we look at verses 1 through 3. He says here, uh, all through this section, the main thing, and he, he, his section, he has broken down verses 1 all the way through verse 20. Uh, he's given it the title, The Oracles of Doom, Rome's Allies. Um, uh, and I've simply done this in a much smaller section. I have verses 1 through 3 here, The Fall of Babylon, the Great, the Judgment God Passes Upon Her. Uh, but he does this, and he does this again in much larger sections. Um, okay, so Brother Summer says here, looking at verses uh, one, he first talks about the whole section, then he gets to verses one and three. He says all through this section, verses one through twenty, the main thing in the writer's mind is the fall of Rome. He views it from different points and repeats for emphasis and repeats for emphasis. Much of chapter eighteen is Old Testament language in regards to the ancient city of Babylon. And John's date had already been fulfilled. It is used here to picture the destruction of the Babylon of the New Testament, Rome. And concerning verses 1 through 3, he says here, The first angel in the vision announces the fall of Babylon because of her spiritual fornication. 
this includes a statement of the way the merchants of the world had capitalized on her wantonness and fornication had thus become her allies in, in evil. Uh, a subsequent paragraph will show uh, their own doom and connection uh, of that empire. So looking next at verses 4 uh, through uh, 4 and 5, as I have it broken up, I have it broken up 4 and 5 and then 6 and 8, and he has it broken up 4 through 8 and then 9 through 20. Uh, so let's look at verses 4 and 5, and then we'll come back and consider some more comments from Brother Summers. So verses 4 and 5 I have titled here, The Call to God's People. The Call to God's People. Okay, so verses 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So come out of her, that is, from association with her sins. The, scripture, the scriptures everywhere warn the entanglements with sin, Second Corinthians 6, verse 14, uh, and many other verses following that as well. Verse 5 is a poetic way of showing the enormity of her sins. Christians are in the world, but not of the world. Verses 6 through 8 here I have titled here, The Command to Distribute Justice, in verses 6 through 8. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, and the cup of which she has mixed makes double for her. In the measurement that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow, and will not see mar- will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So that's verses 6 through 8. Uh, the heavenly spirits are charged to carry out God's orders. Uh, the, the, this language closely follows Isaiah 47, 7 through 9. Uh, verse 7 indicates that the amount of misery she suffers is, is to be proportionate to her arrogant self-glorification. God's judgment will be quick and it will be fierce, as we see there in verses 6 through 8. Okay, before we go on to verses 9 through 20, which I have lumped together here, I want to go back and look at some comments from Brother Ray Summers uh, from verses 4 uh, through verse 8. He says here, A second voice issued a call to God's people to come out from association with this wanton woman, to have no fellowship with her sins, lest some, some of her plagues uh, fall upon them. They are assured that her sins have reached a high heaven, and God has taken notice of them. Now, as we see in verse 6, she is going to receive punishment in like kind and proportion, in, in proportion to her sin. She has boasted about herself, she has been full of pride, and she has said, I shall never have an occasion to mourn, using the King James, I believe there. Uh, he says, now she is to receive double punishment for all her evil. In one hour, very quickly, uh, plagues, famine, and mourning, and death will come to visit her, and she will be utterly consumed. This is a picture of her destruction, but how about her allies? They are pictured as standing in two groups to mourn over her. Rome was, was built upon two things, territorial conquest and trade expansion. Thus uh, do, the two, do the two groups mourn because they go down with her. And we see this uh, more as we go um, looking at verse 9 and following. So verses 9 uh, through 20 says here, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, that's a reference to those who did business with her, and also uh, could also include those who were in sin with her, 
uh, will weep and lament for her for, for when they see the smoke of her burning. I think really that's more of an indication of uh, those who did business with her as they are pictured as far off, as you mentioned before. Um, going on here in verse 10, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no, for no one buys, uh, buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone, gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. You shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour... For in one hour uh, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster and all who traveled by, by ship, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is this great city? What is like this great city, rather? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city, which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. That's verses 9 through 20. And I have the heading here, the groups that cry over the fall of Babylon, verses 9 through 20. Uh, you have the threefold cry over her fall. She is going to fall and her splendor will be forever gone. Three groups lament the doom, kings, merchants, and sailors. This is certainly a graphic picture of a prosperous commercial commercial civilization, and those who have been in bed with her cannot help or comfort or cannot help and cannot comfort her now. Then we find a call to rejoice. Amid the weeping, wailing, and so on comes a call to rejoice. God's vengeance is made manifest, his justice has brought about her downfall. Now concerning verses nine through twenty, Again, for, uh, from Brother Ray Summers' commentary on Revelation, uh, entitled, uh, Worthy is the Lamb. He says here concerning this section, verses 9 through 20, under the headline, The Oracles of Doom, Rome's Allies. Uh, verses 9 through 20, he says, First, the kings of the earth mourn because of her fall. These are her allies who, coming under her power, entered into her spiritual fornication and evil. They turn aside to weep and wail because of such sudden destruction to the great city. Second, the merchants of the earth lament over her destruction because now they have no market for their merchandise. There are about 30 articles of trade mentioned here to create such a business. The merchants have to have entered into the evil empire, into the evil of the empire. Now they fall, fall with her. Nothing can be economically good if it is morally bad. I think it's an excellent point there brought out by Brother Summers there. Nothing can be economically good if it is morally bad. The same fate awaits any nation guilty of the same sin. The merchants and the mariners who carry their wares stand far off, cast dust on their heads, and weep over such destruction of the city. The burning of Rome under Nero was a small matter compared to God's wrath against the entire empire and allies. Doom comes to all. The curtain falls on the second uh, triumph of the pageant. 
It is a desolate scene, but one of rejoicing to the Christian as they see another indication of God's power and their certain rescue. And so, again, God is going to do what? He's going to bring about righteous judgment upon them, upon those who have gone against them. And so, uh, why is that? Because these individuals are incredibly wicked and sinful. Next, in verses 21 through 24, uh, had this headline here, The Completeness of Her Fall, verses 21 through 24 of Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 18 here. Uh, looking at verses 21 through 24, the Bible says here, Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of, of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpets, trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. And the voice of, of bridegroom and, the bri- and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. So as you look at Revelation 18, 21 through 24, we find the completeness of her fall. All social, industrial, and domestic life will end. This illustrates the promise, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Uh, We find here also instruments of of warning of the trumpets and bowls and so on, which we'll read more about later. And going back lastly to look at the... um, Things considered here from Brother uh, Ray, uh, from Ray Summers on his commentary, Worthy is the Lamb. Uh, I want to notice some uh, last few comments he makes here. He says, With the destruction of these three, Rome, the great city, is destroyed. Nothing was, was to be found in her except the blood of the martyrs, which was the cause of her destruction. She was destroyed. Uh, the blood of the martyrs stands as, a internal, as an eternal testimony uh, against Rome and to the loyalty of the Christians. Those who oppose this method of interpretation, he says, point out the fact that Rome still stands. That is true, but is, but is not the persecuting Rome of John's day. A combination of many things brought, brought an end to, to, the long, to the Rome. A combination of things brought an end to, to, the, to that Rome long ago. The Christian movement, which, which that Rome tried to stamp out, still stands and will stand even when all other Romes, so to speak, have fallen to decay even as that ancient Rome fell. And so that brings us to an end there of Revelation chapter 18. Now next we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 19. We'll be looking at, uh, going here verse by verse, we won't be looking, uh, I wanted to use Brother Summers for that section there where we have large groups of of text to consider. Uh, But we're going to be looking at this, uh, merely from my notes here, is look at Revelation chapter 19. As we look at Revelation 19, uh, we have... uh, Heading out of here first from verses 1 through 6 is Christ's victory over the harlot and the praise of heaven over Babylon's fall. So Christ's victory over the harlot and and the praise of heaven over Babylon's fall, verses 1 through 6 of Revelation chapter uh, 19 here. Um, we're going to do our best to get through this. Uh, I don't know if we will with the time that we have left remaining as we have... Uh, as <clears throat> we have 21 verses to look at, but we'll see how far we get. Okay, Revelation chapter 19, beginning here in verse 1, says, After these things I heard a loud voice 
uh, heard a loud voice of great multitude uh, in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Alleluia or hallelujah means praise to God. The word is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It occurs in Psalms, though, 27 times. There are four hallelujah hymns in this section. Verses 1 and 2, they praise God for bringing his righteous judgment upon the harlot. Verse 3, the harlot will never again rise to persecute and destroy God's people. And verses verses 4 and 5 are the worship and praise of God. And the fourth one being verse 6, we have the voice of the great multitude. The emphasis in this last in the last part of this verse is rejoicing over salvation and the glory, honor, and power that belongs to God, rather than rejoicing over evil that has overcome, rather than rejoicing over evil that has overcome Rome. Looking at verse two, the Bible says, "For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot, he crept to the earth with her fornication, and has avenged on her the blood of, of his of his servants shed by her." And so, for or because means an explanation or cause, uh, or cause for the for the rejoicing that is to be given. God's judgment are true and righteous. Now, this is true for a number of reasons. Only God can look deeply into the heart and know exactly man's thoughts and desires. Only God is completely pure and can therefore judge without pr- without prejudice. Only God has the wisdom to know the right judgment and the power to back it up. He has judged the great harlot. He tells what, what the great harlot has done. She has crept to the earth with her fornication. God has avenged that has visited on her the penalty for the blood of his servants at her hand. Rome killed the saints, and God responded with vengeance for the blood that she, Rome, shed. Looking at verse 3, again they, they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So her smoke rising up forever and ever indicates the permanence of, Rome, of uh, Rome's fall. Of the Rome of this time, uh, <clears throat> that is that no one's going to survive this. Rome still stands today, like we mentioned earlier, but the Rome of this period is going down. Looking at verse four, it would never be the same uh, in many ways. Verse four, <clears throat> and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, "Amen, Alleluia." So this is the third Hallelujah Psalm. Uh, song amen shows their hearty approval of the praise of god so the word amen means it literally means i approve or 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 so be it uh it's it's always been a a phrase of approval uh looking at verse five here says then a voice came from the throne saying praise our god all you all you his servants and those who fear him both small and great so the three categories are stated. All his servants are to praise him. That is, all Christians should praise the Lord because we are indebted to him. Next, the ones that fear, or that is, respect or reverence him, are to praise him. And then the third, the small and great, are to praise him. There are no distinctions in race, class, or culture as to who are to praise him. Everyone is to praise him. Verse 4 is the is the fourth hallelujah. Verse, excuse me, verse 6 is the fourth hallelujah, rather. Uh here, verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Okay, so this is the fourth Alleluia. Uh, the voice was saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omni- om- omnipotent reigns. Omnipotent means almighty. The word Lord means ruler or master, the one who decides. 
The word reigns is a past tense verb, which shows he has already been reigning. And their hope was on God, not on the political and economic schemes of Rome. And we are hope today should still be in God as well, not in our government, not at any time, no matter who is in office. Looking at verse 8, And to her it was granted to be, to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 8. The focus in this verse is having on the right clothing. The wife is to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Then we are told for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The righteousness of the saints can be translated the righteous acts of the saints. This tells us that this is speaking of the bride, the church. The bride is the body of the saved, for that is who the saints are. Verse 9 says, And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So the ones called, as we see here in verse 9, or invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are faithful Christians. Their spirit, has, their spirit has invited everyone, but the ones blessed are the ones who accept the invitation, but not everyone accepts the call. The marriage supper is, is not discussed here, but is a feast, and the actual occasion is revealed in chapter 21, but still not much description of the actual supper. Looking at verse 10, And I, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren. Hear the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So the angel responds here to the falling down to his feet and wanting to worship him with, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. This is to say he bore witness of the truth of Jesus. Further, John is told to worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Jesus is the life principle of prophecy, or the very breath of life. Now, in verses 11 and 12, you have the rider on the white horse from heaven. In verses 11 and 12, um, looking here, verse verse 11 says, actually, I think it's through verse, and maybe always through verse uh, uh, 16. <clears throat> uh, yeah, not through verse 12. Um Anyway, all right, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness in, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So I saw heaven open. This is a dramatic scene. The door was insu- ins- insufficient to portray what was, what was about to take place. The whole of heaven was used to depict the scene. John saw a white horse, and he sat upon him, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. The rider of this horse seems to be Christ. He is called faithful and true because he is trustworthy and dependable. Faithful and true, other rulers were not always faithful, but Christ always is. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. This means whether he in judgment in this life or at the end of time, he will judge. However, in all aspects, it will be righteous judgment. He cannot and will not be swayed by opinion, greed, or prejudice. Verse 12 says here, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Many believe this indicates the piercing or penetrating nature of his eyes. Nothing can be hidden from him. On his head were many crowns. A diadem is a ruling crown of a king. He is not one, but many. He has a name written that no man knew but he himself. This is a mystery, but we cannot expect to know how know everything that there is to know about Jesus. 
uh, if it is God's will, it will be revealed to us in time. No one knows it but him. There you go. <laughs> There's no need to say to try to figure out what that is. No one knows it. Verse 13. His, his, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Boy, doesn't that go back to John chapter 1? Uh, looking at verse 13. The writer was clothed with a vesture or garment or robe dipped in blood. Ideas concerning the blood. This may be the blood of the martyrs whom Jesus is avenging, or it may also be include the blood of Jesus himself because of the death on the cross. The answer may be similar to Isaiah 63 verse 3. He is also called the Word of God, or he is called the Word of God, rather, in John 1, verse 1 following. He is called the Word because he said on earth what God's will was. And the armies in heaven, verse 14, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, the armies in heaven followed Jesus upon white horses. They were probably angels or other heavenly servants. These armies were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. One expect, would expect this to be the type of clothing worn by those from heaven. Verse 15, Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads a winepress of the fierceness and, uh, and wrath of God, and the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 15, So out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he, sh- he should smite the nations. He only has to say the word. Verse 11 through 15 is not a separate judgment, as some, uh, as the dispensationalists teach. Uh, these claim uh, four separate judgments. Believers, Israel, the living nations, when the Lord comes to set up a kingdom, and the one here on the great white throne. Uh, these are not separate judgments, but different descriptions of the same one. The Bible speaks of only one judgment, Hebrews 9, 27, Acts 17, 31, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And so these are not four separate judgments. And I actually listened to a lesson here um, a couple of days ago uh, concerning, uh, actually it wasn't a lesson, I'm sorry, it was an open forum. And the man was talking about uh, a white throne judgment and different judgments. Um, and the point he was making was that, uh, you know, he, he was trying to make the point that uh, we are we are going to be you know when we when this life ends we're going to go to paradise and and or or torments and then you know uh, then we'll have the sentencing later. Um, I can see where he's going with that, uh, but we have to be very careful. Uh, there is a final judgment. All are raised and go to the judgment scene together. There's a reason Christ says that. There's a reason it's said repeatedly. And so we have to be very careful with those kinds of things. Uh, there is only one judgment, not four separate judgments, as I have mentioned here that some dispensa- that dispensationists um, try to teach. Okay, verse 16 of Romans, excuse me, of Revelation, rather. Verse 16 of Revelation says, and, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The name King of Kings and Lord of Lords is found several times in the Bible. Uh, Daniel 2, 47, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, uh, 1 Timothy six fifteen, and First uh, Timothy seventeen fourteen. I believe that's my note correctly. The emperor may have been called by these names, but he was not really either. There's only one Lord and one God, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. As we know, it's not uncommon for emperors to try to uh, have others look upon them as God. Um, Okay, the last few verses here, Revelation 19, uh, verses 17 through 21 here. And 
again, headings and Bibles many times today are so misleading uh, because they they um, encourage ideas that are many times inaccurate. But anyway, so keep that in mind as you look at these headings. There's a lot of different ones in our Bibles today. Uh, but verse 17 says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. So the focus shifts from Jesus to an, to an angel standing in the sun where he can be seen by all. Standing in the sun shows the importance of the message because it comes from the source of light. It may, also, it may also reflect the glory of the angel's presence. Looking at verse 18, That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Uh, in the great battle between faith and paganism, the victory of the, lam- the victor of the Lamb is to be complete and final. To interpret the scene literally is completely miss the purpose of the book. The picture is a vivid, symbolic portrayal of the defeat of the Lamb's enemies. The war and the victory are spiritual as defeat comes to the spiritual forces of evil. The flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains, these are this reference to the defeat of military leaders who were, who were over a thousand men. Uh, the flesh of mighty men, the great of earth and, the horse, and of horses and of uh, horsemen. Horse the flesh of all men, the others who have fought against Christ and his servants. Again, we're not talking about people eating people. We're talking about these evil people being destroyed and they are rejoicing because wickedness has been punished. Uh, verse 19, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Uh, so this war is probably known as the Battle of Armageddon, going back to chapter 16. However, notice here, the, notice how there is no battle. <laughs> Verse 16. The so-called Battle of Armageddon that is developed in man's mind is nothing but man's imagination. This is a spiritual conflict that has been going on since time began and will go on until the end of the world. Uh, looking there again in Verse 19. And then the beast was captured, right? Verse 19. He comes to make war against this uh, against Christ on the horse uh, and his army. In verse 20, he's captured. That doesn't sound like a war uh, because we are at war always against evil, against wickedness, uh, against the host of, 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 of wickedness in heavenly places, you know, those types of things, leaders, what we're talking about there. Uh, verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who, prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with with brimstone. Now, if you remember, um, okay, so we notice here in verse 20 that the captured beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of the fire burning with brimstone lake of fire and brimstone we call it many times this is not like the bombless pit remember as i mentioned before the bombless pit is a reference to evil rising and falling rising and falling but when you go into this lake of fire and brimstone um there was no coming back uh, there was no rising and falling that was the final downfall and that's what's being pictured here in verse 20 the beast and all his followers meet their doom the agents are said to be the false prophets, those who were, who were deceived by the false prophet, and those who worship the image of the beast. They're both cast alive in the lake of fire, uh, fire burning with brimstone or sulfur. Um, verse 21, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on, on the horse. That is, they were slain by the word. 
and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so the last verse of chapter 19 describes the final overthrow of wickedness, the enemies of God. Many identify this battle with the pouring out of the seven bowls of God's wrath. <clears throat> also in that connection with the final battle of Armageddon, Armageddon is a figure of war that has raged between the forces of good and evil as long as man has been on the earth. So again, what's going to happen? Christians are pictured as having the final victory. That's what we find here in chapter 19. A lot of images, a lot of uh, figures, figures being used. But I think as we look at this, honestly, we find very, very clearly what's being pictured. God will give us the victory. Evil will be punished. Evil will be cast down, and the Christians will have re- the the Christian will have reasons to rejoice. Okay, we're going to stop there today. Hope do hope you enjoy this study. And we come back next time. Lord willing, we'll pick up in Revelation chapter twenty.